What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Leave us your likes and comments. You can do the same on Facebook, likes and comments. Follow us also on Spotify and iTunes. And be sure to check our affiliate links in the YouTube description. Uh, we oftentimes post links where you can buy some of the products that we mention in the course of the episode. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, and we've got a good one for you today. It is the uh, impossible debate, Ozzy versus Dio in Black Sabbath, and uh, we'll go back and forth on that here in just a bit, but... Uh, First, Jason, what's going on with you? Otherwise known as part 10,000 of the Deep Purple Tree episode. <laughs> Referencing a previous episode. Yes, indeed. Well, it's going to happen. Um, I am, I'm doing fine. Uh, working on rock and roll and, and working and glad to be working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see uh, you've got some dates coming up. So it looks like the touring... Uh, concerts are starting to pick up a little bit so well from what i can tell there's a lot of the a lot of the big boys are you know booking tours that start in the fall as early as the fall which is pretty much here uh very soon well after summer some of them are probably starting up light maybe mid-summer um but you know i don't know any of any new releases uh, that coincide with those tours or anything. But yeah, a lot of the bigger bands I'm starting to see um, echoes of, uh, you know, them getting to work. Yeah. And uh, making up for lost time. Yeah. And uh, there is, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of things um, doing October 9th at Sunken Gardens with uh, Legs Diamond, Lita Ford. Um, stars yeah yeah it's a kick-ass old rock and roll dinosaur show is moxie on that bill i think so um this is i don't a, have i don't a, have all the whole lineup memorized yeah, uh, yeah. but it's it's a san antonio sunken gardens uh hootenanny yeah and then uh i've got one in september in minnesota uh it's in hinkley minnesota and i think they call it rock timber and it's a big, you know, cock rock fest. <laughs> Sebastian Bach. It's All a right. Bach, Bach rock fest. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Glad to yeah. see. Uh, glad a couple see things. Things are coming coming along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, my uh, my wife was at a bookstore recently and bought me uh, this. Uh, edition of classic rock magazine it's the oh. 100 greatest albums of all time or what whatever oh. uh, speak, nice. speaking of impossible debates um that's like talk louder porn yeah exactly right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah and um uh you know I, i'm a big fan does of she classic. realize she's contributing to your problem yeah <laughs> I think she I think she does it on purpose so that I'll stay locked away in my room yeah. and it won't bother her. Well, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah, gotta love it, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm reading up on that. I'm a big fan of Classic Rock Magazine. The the writing's always pretty good, and the photos are great, and uh, uh, it's just little synopsis of uh, various albums that you and I own, and those that we wish we did own, and those that we used to own and lost, and uh, just a great uh, tally of uh, some of the some of the great hard rock heavy metal records of all time. So nice. That's a super score. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I like to read, and uh, if I'm going to read, I tend to read about music. So, yeah, that was a nice nice score. Um, I also picked up, uh, you mentioned End of an Ear, which is a local mm-hmm. record store here in Austin, Texas. Um, I was there with my son recently, and I picked up three Ted Nugent albums, all three for 15 bucks. I and, saw the photo. I saw the post. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'll, I'm the first to say that I find Ted Nugent to be an intolerable human being, but oh my God, those records. And I figured I don't have any of them. I got Scream Dream, uh, Cat Scratch Fever, and State of Shock, all three for 15 bucks. And I didn't own them, and I had never owned them previously. That's his best era. I know that, and I, uh, I got you know, it. The, for, the first album and those, and and uh, Weekend Warriors. Yeah, um, you know, Double Live Gonzo, and you're kind of done. Yeah, I mean, these are three that I never owned before, and I thought I looked at them; they were all in great shape, and I'm like, three for fifteen bucks, I'll take them all. And uh, one of them is actually the State of Shock was actually a promo copy. And uh, I'm listening to it, and I, I was a Ted Nugent, you know, I, I'm familiar with all the hits, and I'm familiar with Double Live Gonzo and the first record. So I'm doing, you know, digging kind of deep on State of Shock and uh, Scream Dream and Cat Scratch Fever. And, oh, man, what a blistering guitar player. And the, and the sound is just so dirty. It's just, it's great. I can't believe I didn't own this previous, you know. So uh, it's, it's been... Uh, a lot of good listening lately here at uh, Metal Dave HQ with the Nugent on in the background. I almost hate to support him because I can't stand him as a person anymore. But um, that's well, to we- elaborate a little bit on the discography there, once you get pretty much up to Double Life Gonzo and you throw Free For All in there, um, that's really about it. I don't think I'm missing a whole lot with the aforementioned records. Uh, and then you hear him speak like uh, without his guitar on, without him putting on a show, right? You yeah. hear him speak normal about his uh, personal reality and views on how he sees the world and how he feels it should be, and yeah. fuck him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of him as a person, but um, right. I, I couldn't pass up three uh, albums for 15 bucks and scream. No, super, super score. Ooh. Scream Dream is the one right now. I mean, that thing is just, those guitars are just nasty sounding. Yeah. And he's a hell of a picker. Yeah. Uh, so I always to, called him the heavy metal Chuck Berry. And I can see why. Yeah. Yeah. He has that thing. Him that, and, uh, and Angus, of course. And then um, I've said this in, a, in another episode, but Lips from Anvil is a big Nugent guy. Ah, okay. And I've seen old photos of old Anvil shows where, much like Ted, Lips has Fender stacks, not Marshall stacks behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty you, weird. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about the gear. That's that's your department, but um, yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of what's going on around here. Uh, we got a good show today. Uh, it's, it almost seems criminal to debate the virtues of Ozzy versus Dio, and I don't think there is a, a, a winner here. I just think that's a snappy title for the episode because uh, it's really hard to uh, to pick a favorite. But let's get into it. We're putting Black Sabbath uh, in the spotlight today. We are talking specifically about the Ozzy Osbourne era and the Ronnie James Dio era. Ozzy, of course, helped put the band on the map, has the longer the larger catalog. Dio, of course, came along and basically rescued the band, put out two classic albums, and then came along a little later for a third. Uh, we'll talk about that. So uh, let's start off with where you first discovered and heard Black Sabbath. That is an easy one. My older brother's record collection. Ah, I want to say it was probably my brother Joe that had uh, sold our soul for rock and roll. And that's like, uh, you know, Kiss Originals or something like that. It's it's pretty much a greatest hits of the first, like, three records or something. And, um, you know, I started stealing that out of his room quite often. <laughs> and ultimately, I think he ended up leaving a bunch of records behind, so I sort of inherited those. And that was one of them, or I inherited a few of them. And that was one of them, and thank God uh, and the devil both. <laughs> because um, I just started, that's around the time that I really started to try to play my bass good. Yeah. As opposed to just bang on it and have fun, right? Because um, there was a lot of cool bass lines. Geezer Amazing. is doing all kinds of st cool stuff. And, you know, I was infatuated with Gene Simmons, actually, already. And, like, I like the bass line for 100,000 years. And I like, uh, you know, just... Gene's like a Paul McCartney kind of a um, major scales and stuff like that where he's bouncing around within uh, the scale and over the chords. And um, if not playing some kind of like uh, upbeat sort of disco, you know, thing like he's, you know, sometimes it's the downbeat, sometimes it's the upbeat. Anyway not to be technical or, or anything. That's actually fundamental of the bass players to sort of sometimes add some tension um, while not losing uh, the vibe of what the guitars are doing. Yeah. So Geezer was like a, this whole other animal. Um, it would have been like, you know, someone playing and bass and like a wedding like a slow dance type of a thing going to like, um, you know, like, uh, super fast, uh, runs and vibrato and gnarly tones and different tunings and things like that. So anyway, I was 
completely engulfed in that record because yeah. of bass more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I, but I love the material. And after that, I think I got master of reality. Yeah. And that blew my mind. And I was stuck on that record for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, same, same for me. Uh, my first Black Sabbath album was We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll. And uh, mine was on a cassette. And um, I found out many years later that that wasn't, the, the band had nothing to do with that. It was a label release, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to sort of capitalize on the band's success or whatever. And it was just what you said, basically a greatest hits package. So that's kind of, you know, we've we've said this before when I was, you know, first trying to learn a little bit about a band that I didn't know anything about. I always started with the greatest hits or a live album, which is basically the same thing. So the the, the vinyl of Soul, we sold ourselves for rock and roll just for unless if, you know, some people have never held that vinyl in their hand and they'll yeah but the ones who have will know what i speak of it so this out. is a this is a gatefold <clears throat> yeah have you seen that it folds out into an upside down cross right no it folds out into like a coffin with a lady oh yeah 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 i had it's incredible yeah yeah it's like yeah. this the most it's the scariest thing i had seen in 78 yeah, at that point in my life, yeah, I mean, just the name Black Sabbath was frightening. And then um, I, like you, I've always considered Black Sabbath to be, first of all, one of my favorite bands. Uh, but secondly, Man for Man, to me, they're the greatest band in all of hard rock and heavy metal. Like, if you know how you you people sometimes put together their dream team and they're like, oh, well, if I could have uh, Bon Scott on vocals and Eddie Van Halen on guitar and blah, blah, um, none of that. I'm saying if you had to take the band at face value, it's really hard to beat Black Sabbath because Bill Ward is my favorite drummer. Geezer Butler is my favorite bass player. Tony Iommi is one of my favorite guitar players, and he invented heavy metal, in my opinion. And then you've got Ozzy Osbourne. So Man for Man, to me, that band is just the ultimate uh, group of players. And uh, I remember hearing We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll and just loved it. And for, like you said, uh, I, I like the fact that the bass and the drums weren't just merely the rhythm section. They were they were kind of off in their own little world and drifting and coming back and uh, doing sort of jazzy stuff. And uh, they were putting on a show unto themselves where up to that point in my life and my listening experience, the drums and the bass were basically just the backbone of the song. This was the first time I heard a band where the rhythm section actually kind of came to the forefront and I loved it, you know. Yeah, the the much like uh, it makes me think of Rush and how um, Neil and Getty work together. It really is similar. I'm glad that you said something about that because it's not really something that you that you think of when you think of Black Sabbath. You think of a package or a song or whatever. You know, um, the it it's interesting to me. You mentioned before I forget that you your opinion is that. Iomi invented heavy metal. So I want to throw this up in the air um, or just ask you, why do you, 
I have a story that I tell uh, that basically reveals my opinion of why what you said might be true. But why would you say that? Well, I I, I think the for me, even though we're supposed to be talking about Aussie, let's talk about Iomi. For well, we're talking about Black Sabbath, so yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um, uh, to me, heavy metal is sort of defined by the sound of the guitars first and foremost for me and with Iomi you know I think most people know he lost his fingertips in an accident mm -hmm. as a kid mm -hmm. uh, so he had to down tune the strings in order to to make up for the loss of his fingers and that gave him the heavier sound and then you know with the fingertips missing uh, it was almost kind of added to a, a muted more muffled sound uh, and then of course he had to turn everything up in order to make up for the lack of strength in his fingers. So all those things combined gave us the classic Tony Iommi sound. And I, you know, it, I, I think even he would say it was, you know, no pun intended, but purely accident. Yes. Uh, but in, out of, it was one of those things with, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. So uh, he needed to do something. And so in, inadvertently, created a whole new changed the world because exactly. of his act. yeah and he thought his career was over right um right. he uh he would uh you every i love everything you said there's one more and a uh, little little nugget to put in the story is that about his strings is he would uh i mean i've heard that you know uh that he would put together his own sets of string, like different gauges of string that he thought would work together on a six string guitar. And, you know, and, and if it would tune the way he could tune them and uh, it would be easier for him to, to press down on the neck, et cetera, or even bend when he played solos, which is a big deal. Yeah. So the lighter the gauge string is already, in theory, easier to bend because it's lighter, but those smaller gauge strings actually uh, the the torque is tighter than they would be than the thicker gauge strings when you kind of think about the physics of it all. So yeah. he had to tune everything down low enough to where it was comfortable for him. So anyway, all of these things and that had to happen for him to just be able to comfortably play his guitar created a sound known uh throughout the universe as something that makes you think of heavy metal yeah and uh i read also that you know as you mentioned he thought his career was over or yeah, he didn't even have a career at the time he thought his days of playing the guitar were over well he was in like top 40 bands he played in wedding bands and stuff yeah He's but... playing popular music wearing a suit yeah so i mean he was you know he was out there making a little money i guess playing guitar in in 69 he played the the rolling stones rock and roll circus as guitarist for jethro tull that's right and he yeah. played a stratocaster yeah it's one of the only times you can see him playing a stratocaster well he uh he so he lost his fingers he figured his playing days were over and then i read that somebody uh turned him on to django reinhardt who is a uh fairly famous uh guitarist i don't even know what genre he plays i've heard his name uh, before it's 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 
I mean, you could say jazz and not be I was wrong. Gonna, and I was going to say jazz. It's almost like fusion sometimes. Yeah, it could yeah. Be even I don't know. I'm talking out of my butt here. No, I was going to Latin or I was know. I was going to say jazz, and but the point is that Django uh, lost a few fingertips. So they were like, "Look, if this guy can do it, you can still play." And he was inspired by the fact that this great guitar player was getting by with uh, with a, missing a few fingers or fingertips or whatever. So that kind of pushed him forward. And uh, you know what the you know what the bitch of it all is is uh, the day that Tony lost his fingers, he was filling in for someone who called in sick. He wasn't even supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's it's pretty weird. But you know that that's kind of a thing. Um, you know, all in all, he he probably would have still become Tony Iommi as we know him, fingertips or not. Well, it was a happy accident, and it. Yeah. It definitely helped uh, create and influence the sound. That... So so not too long after, I mean, I can see him like sticking sewing thimbles on his fingertips trying to play his guitar, but I think that, at, you know, not too terribly long after the accident, he had these uh, this glove he could put on that had plastic, hard plastic yeah. tips, and he was, gone, was on tour in in uh with van halen i think um you know as the opener and uh he only had one of those gloves and he left it in the freaking dressing room and so they were late to the gig because they had to turn around and go back to the venue to get his fingers oh i left me fingers <laughs> he had to go back and get his fingers. Dude, you talk and, about a spinal tap moment. How about total, that? Yeah, forgot Ooh. me fingers. If would like to the gig because if you got me fingers, bloody hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously uh, that accident and that uh, disfiguration of his fingers helped shape the sound of uh, of Black Sabbath. But um, and you know we mentioned the rhythm section having sort of a jazzy sort of a freeform uh, style, which was very unusual, I think. Uh, but on top of it all is is Ozzy, with that vocal. I mean that his voice to me, I like to use the word feral, like just something like a like a like a street cat, you know, something that's just meowing and moaning and screeching and uh, very at least it comes off as um very i don't want to say untrained but there's something about it that's very unique and uh and it suited the music so well because he just sounded like a uh, someone who is in pain or possessed or something <laughs> you know what i mean you know what i'm getting at his voice was uh was perfect for the lyrics that he was singing on top of the music that was in the background yeah, you know, I even though um, I claim to be some kind of singer, uh, I, he sounds like a tenor to me. And you know, Dio is a tenor, but but Dio has more girth in his voice to, to compare tones, right? Yeah. Um, and Ozzy has more of a nasal tone. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that it really served the music very well. Definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it cut through. I feel like uh, Ozzy is actually a better singer than people give him credit for. Um, at the same time, for those people who are like cheering that last statement on, 
uh, you know, a lot of people think differently. They think that he's not very good and all they want to hear is Dio. And I have to, I'm stuck in the middle because um, there, you have no Dio without Ozzy. Yeah. In a, roundabout, in a roundabout way, you have no Dio. And I feel like the things that Dio did for Sabbath um, are incredible moments in the long story of Black Sabbath. Yeah. The um, Back to Ozzy's voice. Untrained, I like the word a lot because it's usually that sort of untrained singer, you know, thing that you hear when you hear a singer and something sounds a little bit maddening about their voice. Yeah. You know, thank God that that's a thing in, in rock music because if you put a some like trained choir pro, you know, gold medalist of singing in the room with Black Sabbath, I'm not going to fucking like it. That's exactly what I was getting at. It's like um, Ozzy's voice was, uh, it, it, at least for me, it was like nothing I'd ever heard at the time. Very nasally, like you said, but that's also what gave it that almost, like I, I used the word possessed earlier. It's almost like a uh, I don't know. It, it sounds like it's otherworldly or something, or it's he's in pain or something. And whatever that quality is that I can't quite choose the words for is exactly what makes it perfect for Black Sabbath. It sounds like a witch singing for Black Sabbath. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Just... It's hard. It's it's hard to describe. Uh, I think that between the two of us, we're sort of like agreeing to disagree on on uh, a couple of things. Now, I don't necessarily think that he sounds possessed. I think he's trying to sound possessed, which is, it's working, but it's also, um, he's very sort of like straight laced with his melodies. I don't hear vibrato. Like when you hear Dio, you hear that vibrato and that, you know, he sounds trained. He sounds, he's full control yeah. and Ozzy is a little a little whiny and nasally and he's um he's singing a lot of geezer's lyrics all of geezer's lyrics well, yeah there, there's something to say but but he did he did write a lot of, you know i think he wrote paranoid lyrics yeah, I think so. He might have contributed some. I, I think he's even said that, he, I mean, he might have, He. I think his greatest contribution was he, he's he said, you know, that he's come up with melody ideas. And, uh, but Geezer was primarily the lyricist and, you know. During yeah. The whole well, the reason I would throw that up in the air as just like something to shoot at is uh, there. That the you know those DVDs or those shows I think there's a bunch of them on Amazon Prime that you can watch, um, classic, classic albums. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Ooh, there's one for um, Paranoid. Know, Paranoid. Yeah, yeah. And they're in the studio, uh -huh. and they've got the tracks up, and I forget who it is. It's a famous producer, Roger uh, Bain. He's playing the he's playing the 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 vocal tracks that didn't make the they were cutting room floor tracks right 
And it's Ozzy like singing, trying all these different lines and like mumbling in the mic and, you know, something, you know, the finish with my woman, you know, he's, he's going for it. And he's just trying right. all these different things until he found the right thing. That's why I think that he, it didn't have the words because well, that, the, that... The, the story behind paranoid is, is I, hey, you've got 30 minutes of music is label once, you know, 33 you yeah. need to write another song and so they just started riffing and he's in there wah, 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 you know making yeah. up some shit so, it was a last minute uh song added to that record and the the and the song charted the record the song yeah. was the song that it was an it was a sweet child of mine same thing it's yeah. accident yeah 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 and uh man what what a riff and what a song i mean it became their signature song and uh it still holds up today and I mean, I can't hear that song and not, you know, start pounding the steering wheel or play an air guitar or whatever. It's just a monster song. Well, I love how songs later on, like with Dio, when you think of uh, uh, Neon Nights. That has a little bit of paranoid in it if you really think about it. Yeah, it's got the groove is the groove is choppy, a little choppier than than paranoid. Yeah. Um, but it's signature Sabbath by way of paranoid. Yeah. So um if you what what do you think is your favorite album of the Aussie era? The fa- your favorite Black Sabbath? Era? You know me. It's it's I, I I go back to Kiss. It's like what's your favorite Kiss album? Well, the first five. You know I can't. It's hard for me to. I I don't I'm not good at those. Yeah. Social media, those little like, okay, this one or that one. You know, and and then you see this giant thread of a thousand people going, "Oh, definitely the first album," or "No yeah. way, dude!" And this entire thing, I'm like, I don't, I skip over that crap. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't. I, I, uh, I'm not gonna be that guy that goes both. You know, because yeah. you're not playing the game right. Because so. <laughs> I can't play the game right, apparently. So yeah, um, I've always had a hard time too because there's so much to choose from and it's all so great, but I, I've typically always leaned towards volume four as being wow. my favorite. Um, sick. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a so great sick. album. Uh, snow blind is one of my favorite Sabbath songs and that's on there. Uh, super not. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing also, this needs to be brought up that black Sabbath is considered like, you know, one of, if not the, in my opinion, the uh, founding, you know, heavy metal band, the heavy metal band that started it all. But man, they could turn on a dime. And I mean, Tony Iommi, uh, something like Laguna Sunrise is just beautiful acoustic guitar and so peaceful and tranquil. They could go from something like Children of the Grave to something like Laguna Sunrise effortlessly and yeah i like orchid yeah yeah same vibe you know what yeah. i mean and uh so it, it, it's almost unfair to pigeonhole them as a metal band but they're so good at the metal that they can't avoid the tag but they well, were those so are all, those are like those are like little neoclassical ditties yeah those yeah, little yeah. little places on the record where 
you know, you'll even hear like strings go off, oh, all kinds of string section going on. And he's just playing an acoustic on top of it. And maybe yeah. it's doubled and he'll do a little harmony. It's incredible. And it's then, like it, it's like I can see him with the big hat under a tree with the lute and the stream yeah. and the <laughs> and the goblins running around playing catch. You know, right, right, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, and Ozzy's voice is suited to all that stuff as well. You know, like he can he can shriek like a like a possessed maniac, but then he can also when he does the the like changes, for example, uh, his voice has that quality of desperation that just makes him makes him sound like he's feeling every bit of pain that he's expressing in a song like changes and uh you know again ozzy's voice is just perfectly suited for everything that black sabbath did and i think he doesn't get a lot of credit uh for being a great singer because maybe technically he's not but to me a lot of where where you stand uh, is is connected to what you're trying to express. So, yeah. you know, you could be a great technical singer, but if you're trying to emote a certain, you know, quality like heartbreak or pain or sorrow or desperation or even happiness or whatever, if you don't have that quality in your voice, it doesn't matter how technical, te technical. Well, here, all in all, if he was guessing, he killed it. Yeah. <laughs> if he was making it up as he went along, fucking killed it. Yeah. That's all there that's all there is to say. So if Dio were here, he would say the same thing. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know what the rivalry was. I'm sure there was an obvious rivalry between the two of them. That's I know there was. I don't know any sort of legit backstory to elaborate, but I think that that Dio really does know that Ozzy on those old Sabbath records created. He create he was he's essential to what was the genesis of Black Sabbath. Yeah, and and um, you know like Orchid and Laguna Sunrise, these moments of like mystic, uh, you know, in the Shire on the tree swing and hanging out with Frodo and friends. <laughs> that's freaking awesome but then they would they created doom yeah yeah you know and, and Dio you need has... ozzy to create doom because he was like you said he was had a maniacal tone about his uh voice yeah um, whether he sounded crazy he was trying to and it it worked but see even dio sounds crazy he can sound gnarly and ah, like he's, you know, completely emoting something. Yeah. To me, you know, when when Dio gets in that frame of mind, to me, he sounds more like a like a like a roaring monster. Whereas. OK. Whereas Ozzy, to me, sounds like somebody who's locked up in a padded room, literally losing their mind. Well, and he, that, he, to, he he played off of that well. Yeah. And I, and I, and it's great. I mean, that's, that's, that's an emotion and, and he does, he does it well. And it, and mm -hmm. it's Black Sabbath. Now it's funny that I, I don't think they've ever really had a rivalry except for the time when, when Ronnie wouldn't open for, for Ozzy at okay. those couple of dates in Costa Mesa. But, um, uh, I've interviewed Ronnie and he's acknowledged, I mean, he's given Ozzy every 
bit of credit he's due. He, Let's he, talk about that. What, how did that even come up? What the interview? N no, what you said. Like, did you did you ask Dio straight up? Hey, dude, come on, give me some dirt on Ozzy. Tell yeah, me exactly yeah, what you he, think of him as a singer. No, I'll tell you how that came up. And it, yeah, and, that's that's my question. Yeah, um, it came up because I told Ronnie that. I felt like Black Sabbath with Ozzy and then Black Sabbath with Dio were almost, in my mind, two entirely different bands. And he totally agreed with that. And then, and in agreeing with that, he said, look, I'll tell you, you're absolutely right. They are two different bands, in my opinion, because what Ozzy did with Black Sabbath absolutely created heavy metal, the music that we've all come to love. And no one could do what he did except him with Black Sabbath. Then when I joined the band, it turned into a different animal. So they, it is, I do look at them as two separate bands, much like you do. And so that's where he revealed to me anyway, that, you know, he gives credit where credit is due and he takes nothing away from Ozzy and, and in fact credits him for creating, you know, a template for everything that Ronnie James Dio followed, you know, without Black Sabbath, there would have been no elf. There would have been no rainbow. There would have been no uh, vocal spot open for Black Sabbath for him to fill, you know, yeah. and he wouldn't have had the solo career that he had. So he, he acknowledged that, you know, Ozzy with Black Sabbath created something special. And, um, you know, I, I always thought it was interesting too, that, uh, I read that, uh, Dio was suggested as Ozzy's replacement by Sharon Osbourne, who at the time was known as Sharon Arden, who mm -hmm. was the daughter of Don Arden, who was the manager for Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a, a weird little twist. Like, she's the daughter of Black Sabbath's manager, and when they need a singer, she suggested Ronnie James Dio... And then she went on to marry Ozzy. <laughs> well, she was probably already with Ozzy. Yeah, possibly. I yeah. Well, well, when you think about it, so Ozzy's you know leaving the tour. It's 1979 or whatever, and he's all fucked up, and he crawls back to England or something, and he already knows Sharon because that's the his manager's daughter. Yeah. So yeah. they they are they're probably dating and have probably already. Uh, been in cahoots anyway because Ozzy's um, this sounds terrible but I think he was kind of a deadbeat dad yeah I think and he was, he was already kind of fucking up and tooling around and fuck, fucked up too yeah. you know obviously he's fucked up yeah and then him and Sharon end up just moving to Los Angeles and stealing Quiet Riot and making records yeah um, yeah it, probably I mean there's that, I mean, I just, yeah, I just kind of like mowed over the rose bush. But, yeah. yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of pretty much how it went down, really, if you just kind of throw the rock against the wall and it cracks open. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. So, but the, but the funny thing too is that, um, Ozzy, you know, Ozzy leaves Black Sabbath and goes on, launches a spectacular solo career, right. and Ozzy, or Ronnie steps into Ozzy's shoes and takes Black Sabbath to a level that they hadn't been to in five or six years, you know? All of a sudden, right. they're back on top. 
Hey, there's a small el- there's a small elephant I want to throw up in the air. Um, why did Bill Ward not play on Mob Rules? On my well, he did he did the Heaven and Hell record, and I think he tried to start the tour. And at that point was when his health and his demons and the alcohol and all that stuff, in in the band's opinion started hampering his performance. They actually brought in Vinny apiece to finish out the Heaven and Hell tour, from what I understand. So by the time they went in to do the Mob Rules record, Vinny had already been in the band and playing live with them, and and Bill was was gone. Uh, and, you know, Bill Ward is such a... It's, a... it's almost a sad story, because I think he's he is my favorite drummer in all of rock and metal and has been for years and years. I just think he's so unique and interesting. And uh, uh, it, it's just a shame that he and the band aren't able to work out their differences or whatever. And if he can't play, he he can't play. I, I understand both sides of the story. Uh, I just think it's a shame that it's come to that because, you know, they're all yeah, still... I, uh, I, I, I guess I didn't think about it that much. I just thought it was a big bummer enough to me uh to feel butthurt about it and and just never really investigate or know why uh that Vinny came in and really saved the day and once again mob rules is just as good as heaven and hell in my opinion yeah it's a and great it, and it and it also uh it had uh, a little bit maybe just a little bit more commercial value because of uh, the title track being on the heavy metal movie soundtrack yeah, and it might have also benefited from the success of Heaven and Hell, you know. So they they proved themselves with a new singer. Yeah. Uh, so the world is paying attention. The world is interested. And as you said, the song uh, "Mob Rules" came out on on that movie, uh, Heavy Metal. And uh, so yeah, their their star was rising again, you know. Mm-hmm. And that I I've always been a Heaven and Hell guy. It's like that album is one of my top three favorite albums of all time. And um, Mob Rules is so good. Uh, I often I often tend to downplay it because I'm such a huge fan of Heaven and Hell. But every time I go back and I listen to Mob Rules, I find myself thinking, wow this really is a coin toss, man. These are both really, really good records. Man, if you put headphones on and listen to Sign of the Southern Cross, you will get the willies. Yeah, yeah. And you know and another I, and, I, and I think that, sorry to interrupt, I think that when you you can do the same to like Don't Talk to Strangers. Yeah. Like, like uh, um, that. That's Dio had this way to emote the story that he's telling. And Sign of the Southern Cross gives me the greatest heebie-jeebie yeah and then and then uh don't talk to strangers is the same yeah they have they're two they have two different vibes in a lot of ways but they also are very shit they might even be in the same key i don't know i'm not running to my guitar and a tuner to find out so yeah but they uh i mean and then so the other twist in the story was you know as we mentioned earlier geezer butler was responsible for writing like 90 to 95 percent of all the lyrics when ozzy was in the band and then when dio joined the band geezer was like thank god someone is finally here they can write so i don't have i don't have the entire burden of writing the lyrics 
and lyrically, you can hear a different direction in Sabbath with Dio. It did get a little more Dungeons and Dragons, kind of like where he was going to go with his solo career. Uh, but I, I, man, I think uh, when they came out with Dio, to me, they were just a heavier, supercharged beast, you know? It's like Black Sabbath with Ozzy was a heavy band, but there was something about the chug and the and the weight and the as you said earlier the heft or the girth or something of the music when Dio came on board that is like really really powerful and that's kind of why I consider Dio's voice really sort of matched up with Tony's guitar. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it did. Uh, I think Ozzy's voice matched up as well, but I think. Well, it it played well uh, against it. it. Like Dio's I, voice was heavy and fat, like Tony's yeah. guitar. I I think with Ozzy, I I think with Ozzy there was a lot more finesse in the band, and with Dio there was a lot more just muscle. It was mm-hmm. just power. With, with yeah, but when you say it like that, and that's uh, I respect that. But when you say it like that, to me, it sounds like when you say muscle and power it sounds like you know some he man some bull in a china shop and you're saying ozzy has finesse let's be careful with the word finesse because ozzy's kind of a bumbling fool no i don't mean vocally <laughs> i don't i don't mean i'm not talking, oh, okay I'm not, I'm not singling out the vocalist you I'm mean tone i'm talking about the band at that time yeah the band, tone. The band with ozzy yeah. to me black sabbath with ozzy had more finesse. Black Sabbath with Dio had more muscle. That's what I I'm think about. that Ozzy, to be clear, is like this wicked jester, and Dio was like a wizard. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like Dio brought magic, and Ozzy was this uh, had a childish effect to. Um, Black Sabbath, and and I think that it's creating something that's different than what Dio created with with the same fucking band. Yeah, and you know, but there there's also probably you also have to factor in technology producers. I mean, uh, uh, the two Birch. albums were done by Martin Birch, who is a master. And technology had had probably. Uh, grown leaps and bounds by 1980, 81 versus, uh, you know, 1970 or 72 or whatever. Yeah. So there, so they had those advantages. Um, Vinny, Vinny is a different drummer than Bill. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, less, less jazzy. Yeah. uh, Lots slimier. And what I mean by that is there's like a, there's almost feels like polyrhythms happening during like Mob Rules record, even just back to back to Heaven and Hell on you know releases. And and in Heaven and Hell, there it's it's slimy and 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 um, uh, just not as slimy and gooey as what uh, Vinny can do, but Bill is really jazzy and can swing he's swinging he's like he can he's way behind the beat like a you know john bonham kind of a thing you know it's funny little tidbit uh ginger baker they made a 
a documentary years ago and I can't remember what it was called, but it was really kick ass. Yeah. And he's, he was just a fucking nutty character and he talks so much shit about other drummers. I think it was, I think he said it either about Bill Ward or, uh, John Bonham. He said, Oh, he couldn't swing a sack of shit. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, what? Even, it doesn't matter which of those drummers he was talking right. about. They can both swing a sack of shit. Yeah, for sure. They can swing a lot of shit. For sure. Yeah. So did you ever see Black Sabbath live with Ozzy back in the day? F to the no. Yeah, uh, that's what, uh, you know, many episodes of Talk Louder, um, I've gotten depressed on camera <laughs> saying, <laughs> saying, Nope, I fucked up. Missed that one too. Yeah. Um, it's infamous. I just talked about it. The, uh, prior episode about my younger brother, Randy. Um, I'm like, dude, what, where were you last night? Uh, went and saw, you know, went and saw black Sabbath with Ozzy open for, I mean, uh, yeah. Van Halen opened. Yeah. It was yeah. killer. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I never saw him back in the day. I guess I, I was probably too young. I uh, wasn't going to concerts yet, but I did. 79, yeah, Never Say Die. Yeah, um, which is a which which is an album. We should talk about that album. Dude, I, there are some songs on there that could have been on volume four, in my opinion. Yes. There, I, it's a modernized version of Sabbath, and I'm not saying you, you could tell where they were going with writing, because they didn't even know it till they had Ronnie, I'm sure. But, yeah. dude, Junior's Eyes. Love that song. Holy shit. Yeah, great song. Uh, yeah. The title track, dude. The title yeah. track is just a, it's just a you know, yeah. word burner. Yeah. Junior's Eyes is great. And uh, I've always liked Johnny Blade. Some yeah. people think it's kind of cheesy, but I no way, dude. it was great. I and, like Ozzy's melodies. Yeah, and his voice. I mean, yeah. Well, he sounds like he's he sounds like he's trying to do like John Lennon or something. It's trippy, and it's and it's and it fits the song. It's just like again. I mean, I don't know if I want to hear anybody else sing because it doesn't have that same menace and that same desperate sort of you know. I don't know. I keep going back to this uh, the word maniacal or something. He almost sounds. Same person, you know. Yeah, but he sounds childish a little bit when you think about Johnny Blade. Yeah, in that, Johnny in that. Blade. You know, it's it's there's this thing, there's a quality about it that's different that Dio yeah. fans might not understand. Yeah, I always thought Never Say Die. The band hates it, and 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 by all accounts, they were. Complete. What's that other song? Aftershock. Yeah. I think that's old a, Sabbath. I that could have been on the first like three or four albums. Yeah, I think it's a great so album, and, and it doesn't it doesn't get the credit it deserves. I will admit that it's kind of spotty, but it's not the complete disaster that it gets made out to be in the history books. We just pulled four. We just culled four songs off of it that are godly. Yeah, exactly. So um, we were talking about, oh, so you said, yeah, so I didn't get to see Ozzy with Black Sabbath because he he was basically out of the band around 79, 80, and I wasn't going to concerts yet. Uh, And I was always bummed out because I thought that's one of those bands that I never got to see. They became a favorite band of mine, 
and they were already history and I wasn't ever going to see them. But of course, like all bands do, they did the reunion thing. And I want to say the first time I saw them reunited with Ozzy uh, was with Pantera opening up. And I know I saw them with Pantera and I think that's the first time I saw the reunited Black Sabbath. And man, that was such a treat for me because I was getting to see the band that I thought I'd never see and hear all those songs done with Ozzy on vocals. And, you know, of course, Pantera opening didn't hurt. But that was a that was a great night and a great uh, concert. I really Can you imagine, uh, you know, what was going through the Pantera boys' minds? Having the time of their lives, man. They wouldn't have had. Well, they had. They those dudes had the time of their lives when they were mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. guys. Those guys <laughs> rock. They know what's. They they're just they're just having a good time all the time. So, yeah. I mean, Pantera wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist without Black Sabbath. And here they are. It's it was fucking church for yeah. those guys. Yeah. And I felt the same. Uh, I never got to see Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio. Um, until they reunited as heaven and hell. And again, it was kind of the same thing. I was like, oh my God, here's this band that I thought I'd never see live and wasn't ever expecting to see live because they had been broken up. Uh, but they got back together and did heaven and hell. And it was the same thing. I was like, oh man, I'm hearing all these songs. I'm seeing the band. Yeah, and I saw that. Yeah, I saw you there. It was Verizon like, Wireless. With, yeah, I bumped uh, into you out there with Judas Priest, Judas you know? Priest, Motorhead, and Testament. Yeah, that's what right. That's right. So I have um, a friend of mine, Tony Black. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, he gave me this. You know, when you go to the concert and there's giant promotional banners that have all four of the. You know, maybe it's above the ticket will call or something has all the promoter's name and all four bands it's a it's as big as the wall in your house yeah and it's that really thick like you could a tornado could wash it on it and it'd be like yeah whatever <laughs> yeah it would yawn at you that's how thick this thing is anyway um i have it rolled up in my garage i had it hanging up for a long time but it's from that tour the Metal Masters Tour. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And it has all their names. It doesn't it doesn't have the names of Motorhead and Testament, but Judas Priest and and uh and Heaven and Hell has all their names. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple records that don't get a lot of recognition. I got one. I yeah. got a record I want to talk about. Do it. Live Evil. Ah, well, okay. Let let me let me go one let me go one better. Since okay. we are talking about Black Sabbath with Ozzy and with Dio, and this episode is sort of at least titled Ozzy versus Dio, let me put Live Evil up against Speak of the Devil. Which one do you take? Ooh, wow. See what I did there? Probably probably Speak of the Devil. I got to go that, Speak of the Devil. And that's not even, wow. And that's not even like, was it Tommy Aldridge? Uh, Who's drumming in the band is it Tommy and uh, it's and Tommy's, Rudy, yeah, Sarzo Aldridge, and, and the album on the album it's Brad Gillis, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was the one I was I was leaving off because it was kind of obvious. That's there was I've seen like footage of him 
maybe not rehearsing with those guys, but like warming up backstage and and putting on the you know you got the guitar player from Night Ranger, yeah, who's wearing like polka dots and stripes, closer to what Randy Rhodes would wear, but then he's gonna sit in for Ozzy and record a live record after he's only learned the like twenty songs in three days or something crazy like that, yeah. And and uh, they make a live record. I wonder if he had to punch any. Punch, I wonder if he messed up enough to where he felt like he had to go back in the studio and punch some of that live shit in, fix it. I don't know, but good the question. And that, yeah, yeah, the album sounds great. And between those two, it rips. Yeah, uh, but uh, and if I had, you know, it would almost be easier to have an episode speak of the devil versus live evil than an episode that's Ozzy versus Dio, because. There, the distinctions are so much easier to pick apart, you know. Um, I never really liked the Live Evil record, and some of that I think is because I just, I don't, and this is not, I don't mean this disrespectfully, I just don't like the sound of Dio's voice doing Ozzy's songs. You know what I mean? This is why I jumped on it and threw it on the table, because that makes the Probably the better argument so far in this episode is Dio singing the Ozzy stuff. Because you know Ozzy, there was never even a chance for Ozzy's gone. Right. He's not going to win. He's reuniting with Sabbath. He's right. got he's got plenty of, they've got enough material. It's like, this sounds terrible when I say it, but Dio who, right? So yeah. when you think about heaven and what, right? So yeah. the, you know uh heaven and rules the mob heaven you know no it doesn't work so he's not doing dio sabbath of course that's hurts my brain i'll stop right. okay so yeah. yeah dio singing the old stuff we'll say right? right here you go it's like hagar singing the roth stuff or actually yeah it's the same thing it's like david lee roth is never going to have to sing a sammy hagar van Halen. okay it's the same we're talking about the same token right of like uh yeah this is a, a stone that's been buried in the rock but no one should pull this stone out of the rock but the the successor is always going to have to sing the predecessor's songs at least right. one or two of them right they're, whoever is singing in skid row they're singing sebastian's shit oh yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's it it's the, exactly that's, just to be clear so, yeah, so it's obvious so those two albums speak of the devil versus live evil i've always favored by a long shot actually speak of the devil uh i i just never could quite accept ronnie's voice singing ozzy stuff and i i I'm I'm just gonna straight up say it. That speak of the devil record has some energy to it. it I I feel like I'm at the concert when I listen to that record. Well, and it's um to be clear, it's uh people should go to our affiliate links below and click on that to see the set list. It is uh, it is Sabbath, but it's also Aussie, right? Crazy no, train, it's all and Black Sabbath. What? It's, it's all Black Sabbath. That's why I put those two albums against each other. Hold head on. Head. Speak of the Devil is all Black Sabbath? All Black Sabbath, yes. Because I, before, I know this for a fact. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's why I put those two albums head to head and posed the question. It's like, which one would you, would you, would you prefer? Because they're both. So, so he's still, so uh, this is an inter interesting. You're, you're, you just turned my brain upside down. <laughs> No, speaking um, of the devil is. Uh, in fact, uh, Randy Rhodes was. They they knew that 
it was a contractual obligation of some sort. Randy knew that he was going to have to do the Speak of the Devil record, and he hated the idea of having to do a full record of Black Sabbath songs. And then, of course, the plane crashed, and it was a non-issue. But it was a sticking point for Randy Rhodes, and uh, it, it became a non-issue because of the plane crash and it's a, it's an entire album of nothing but black sabbath songs and of course so is live evil that's why i put the two against each other and asked you to pick which one would you take since we're talking about ozzy versus dio and in both cases on both albums they're singing all black sabbath songs wow i swear i recall there being maybe i'm thinking of the tribute album or what you might be thinking of, it's possible. Is the tribute album with Randy have Black Sabbath songs on it's it? It's got a few, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I'm that's my mistake. That's my mistake. So or, Speak of the Devil is all Sabbath. What yeah, the, the recording's okay. all Sabbath. Where I was gonna throw you a bone here and say that 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 uh there was a concert performance that was aired on MTV that was the Speak of the Devil lineup with Brad Gillis on guitar. Now, it's possible that on that video uh, concert footage, they might have done some Ozzy songs, but the I album see. that you can go by, the album Speak of the Devil is all Black Sabbath songs. Okay. Wow, that's that's interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned it uh I, I'm glad you mentioned our uh, affiliate links in the description because that's that's an album that everybody should go buy because it's yeah it kicks ass it's a great and, and if you and if you can find a a decent price on Live Evil pick that one up too just yeah. for yeah the artwork is pretty cool it's awesome yeah the artwork um, is the, great the take uh, it's kind of a Mob Rules style it's darker than that. Um, it has caricatures that represent all of the old Black Sabbath album covers and stuff. Yeah. It um some of it was recorded in San Antonio. Wow. At least uh at least one or two of the songs was recorded in San Antonio. That album is the album that caused Dio to leave Black Sabbath. Oh my god. Because they I had to bring it up. Anyway. They had some, if you listen, if, you know, depending on who you listen to, uh, Ronnie and Vinny were sort of like the Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen, and Tony and Geezer were kind of the, you know, the David Lee Roth and, and, the, and the Mike Anthony. They, you know, they were, they were divided into two separate camps. And um, Dio claims... One camp claims that the other camp snuck into the studio at night and, and turned up the guitars and the bass and turned down the vocals. And the other team says that Ronnie came in in the middle of the night and turned up the vocals and turned down the guitars. <laughs> and it sounds preposterous now, but that was actually the basis of a feud that led to the departure of Ronnie James Dio. And it was, uh, it was that album, uh, Live Evil, that kind of started the whole friction that ended up in him leaving the band. Wow. Well, let's let's uh, let's not say that that it was time for Dio to go solo anyway. And take and he took Vinny with him too, just for good measure. Well, I think that Vinny was already on his speed dial anyway. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I feel um, like it was Ronnie that brought Vinny. Got Vinny. Hey, Bill's not doing Mob Rules. Come down to the studio, right? I feel like it was Ronnie that did that. Am I wrong? 
I don't. So say again. I'm I'm sorry. I missed some of that. Bill's not playing drums on Mob Rules. Ron calls Vin. Uh, well, Vinny was in on the Heaven and Hell tour, so he. Oh. Yeah, he oh. he came in halfway through the tour because Bill Bill did the Heaven and Hell record and I think started the tour and couldn't finish it, or he might not have even started it. What what's the connection? How did Vinny who 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 has Vinny on speed dial, Dave? Uh, who has Vinny on speed dial? I'm saying Ronnie. I'm gonna say Ronnie because Ronnie's a New Yorker and I think Vinny's a New Yorker and they probably yeah. and they were the two Americans and. They probably had crossed paths at some point. So, yeah, I'm going to say Ronnie's got him on speed dial. Um, They probably knew each other from the neighborhood. Yeah, they could have. Yeah. New York, Jersey. Right. Yeah, that that, Mm -hmm. that general area. Mm -hmm. Um, So, did you ever see Black Sabbath with Dio? Did you see the Heaven and Hell tour, the Mob Rules tour? I never saw the Mob Rules tour. Um, I. I don't know for sure either my brother Randy or um, some of my friends saw the Black and Blue tour, which was Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's it's way out of print, but there's a concert. There's concert footage of that tour yeah. um, where you, it's both bands on one VHS or DVD or whatever. Yep. And you you might be able to download it, or it's probably on YouTube. Yeah. And it's just called Black and Blue, and it's Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult, which is a really cool uh, pairing, if you ask me. It is. It really is. Um, That movie, actually, you used to be able to go to the the drive-in and watch it, just like you used to be able to go see ACDC's Let There Be Rock. Was it maybe a midnight movie? Yes, exactly. For all you old fuckers out there exactly. that know the midnight movie. Yeah, exactly. It was one of those things. It it might not have been a drive-through. Maybe it was. That, that's what it was. It was a theater production, but you could only see it at like midnight on Saturday, one Saturday out of the month or something. Yeah, that's that's um the Rocky Horror Picture Show was one of the sort of like. Yeah, you know, rotating midnight yeah. movies you same, can see. Same deal. Same deal. Uh, let Let There Be Rock, uh, ACDC, uh, uh, Song Remains the Same, Led Zeppelin, Rocky right. Horror Picture Show, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Yeah, uh, which was the longest running probably midnight movie, um, other than Rocky Horror maybe. And then you're saying that this Black and Blue, which was Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Uh, it, it started like to- that. Totally worthy, totally worthy of that sort of like merry-go-round of, yeah. of, of rock movie. So uh, let's talk about the Dio album with Sabbath that most people forget about, and that's Dehumanizer. Do you yes. know that one? Yes. I, so, I, um, I'm going blank um, on some song titles. Yeah, there was TV Crimes. Uh, there was a song called "I." There was a song that's called "Right Machine." Right. Was there a title track? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. But I so that album it came along so late that I probably never gave it the fair chance it deserves. And yeah, I I will. I have. Uh, forgive me, Father. I have sinned. Uh, I I did not listen to Dehumanizer when it came out because I was busy listening to some some other 
thing that was probably not worth listening to. Yeah, well, we probably moved on at that point, you know. And, and well, that, it's it's terrible because you know that that thing has been remastered and reissued at least once or twice. Yeah, and uh, it's something that should be in my collection just because it has the great Dio on it. Yeah, you know. And I think one of the reasons it it was even uh, kind of made it into the public eye was because. Uh, one of the one of the tracks was featured in one of the Wayne's World movies, and, oh. and that, that sort of helped give it a boost, you know, kind of because you know obviously Wayne's World was a huge thing at the time when it came out. Yeah, and I want to say uh, it was either the song Time Machine or the song I, but they had a song from Dehumanizer that was on the Wayne's World soundtrack, and that kind of gave it an extra little push. Um, so I was aware of it. And I have it now. I have a, I have a box set uh, called Black Sabbath: The Dio Years, mm-hmm. um, and it's got Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, Live Evil, and Dehumanizer. And so, every once in a while, I try to reacquaint myself with Dehumanizer, but I it just to me it's it's impossible for it to stand up to Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell. So I probably don't give it the chance it deserves. That, but. that makes me feel better about uh, my confession. You know. Well, that, your confession is my confession. I basically yeah, I just didn't give it the chance that it probably deserved. But I, I do. I seem to recall I being pretty, pretty badass. Yeah, we're yeah. definitely worthy. Yeah. So. And so along the same lines, let's talk about uh, Heaven and Hell put out a record, and. It's, you know, basically heaven and hell, which is, is basically Black Sabbath because, the, because um, they just can't call it Black Sabbath because right. there's some contractual bullshit going on. Right. So, yeah. have you ever heard that record? What's it called? It's called The Devil You Know. Okay, so I should probably just let myself out because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Well, okay, I, I don't, look, I don't I, have I, any, tr- I don't have any, f- I, I, I'm drowning here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm any- going to throw you a lifeline here. Um, okay. I, I have it and I listened to it a couple times because I wanted so desperately to like it. Cause it's the great black Sabbath with the great oh. Ronnie James Dio on vocals. Uh-oh. And I have to say that to me, it's one of these records where every song is what I like to call a plotter. It just has that plodding, dun, 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 droning. Dun, 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 it's not even that upbeat. Dude. Oh, I mean, it's just—it's <laughs> very, it's well, very well. Oh, Sabbath okay. did that with Dio very well, right? They did, and I liked, I like it in bits and pieces. As, but, the, but Sabbath Dio, like when you think of like uh, the beginning of War Pigs, you know, and just the song Black Sabbath, yeah. You know, right. drone. Yeah, that's drone. Yeah, wall of sound. Right. Yeah, which is that's, what they're known for. It's right. part of the exactly. doom thing. But right. I like it. I like it better when there's ebb and flow to an album, especially when you've got Ronnie James Dio singing. You know. It's yeah, like, you're. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the next Neon Nights, or I'm waiting for the next Turn Up the Night. Yeah, yeah, your running order, your running order, th- just for lack of a better, just for terminology, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast. Sure, yeah. And I felt like that album was just all one speed, and it was this all sort of plotting, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
either mid-tempo to slow tempo. It was a very droney kind of album, in my opinion. Yeah. So I never really uh, gave it much more than a few listens. But at, well, thanks for making me. Thanks for pulling me out of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what are friends for? I was, I was right. <laughs> I was drowning. So, so it's called the Devil You Know. The Devil You Know. Yeah. And Dehumanizer. Those are two records that I'm just those are two records that that i'd like our listeners to comment on because obviously you and i didn't give them enough of a shake and if anybody out there is into those albums and and has uh something to share about you know yeah yeah they need to comment and educate us please yeah they need to tell us what's wrong yeah what's wrong with you guys you guys are dicks yeah those (laughs) records are awesome yeah Yeah. no i want that to happen Yeah. So it's also saying here. Let me throw this up. What about thirteen? The the Aussie the the uh, Sabbath record. Once again, no Bill Ward. No Bill Ward. To me, that's a big bummer, man. I'm out. I'm turning this shit off. <laughs> so, so you know, he's okay. He's got demons, and da da da. He was gonna do a tour. Da da da. He wouldn't even sign the contracts. Maybe that's I'm ahead of myself or nah, behind or something. Right. Okay, so, so you know, I'm Bill Ward, and I'm not playing on the new Black Sabbath record. So they get Mike Borden, who's friends with the Osbournes, and has uh, you helped. know who plays on that record? Oh shit! The hold on, don't tell me. I'm not gonna. I don't know his name, but he was in um, Rage. Right. It's not yeah. Mike Borden. It's Brad Wilk. Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Mike who, Borden would have been. A, yeah, they're both great. Yeah, they're both great. Yeah, I, but I have some some anger issues that I want to talk about here in a minute when you're done talking about 13. <laughs> uh my opinion with 13 is uh number one major major bummer that there's no Bill Ward. That's a huge strike against it in my oh, opinion. Oh, so I I I brought, I chalked up the the huge bummer factor about 13 before we even got into it. Yeah, and and okay. otherwise I I I was kind of excited about it because it's the first album in a long time. It got a lot of hype, and I kind of fell for some of the hype. Then I got the album. I listened to it a few times, and I felt like I felt like overall the songs were too long. It's one of those albums where I felt like they could have used an editor, you know. And well, again, here's something: when you so Sabbath is known for being droney, as we've said, and uh-huh. and have this doom thing, yeah. and the, you know. When your songs are played slow, you, your songs are long. Yeah. If you have an intro, like a guitar riff or whatever, and then you've got the band comes in and plays four bars, and then you got a verse, and then you got a pre-chorus, and maybe a short chorus the first time, then you got a second verse, da 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 If your tempo is boom, go, you're six minutes in, and you've only got to the second chorus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's this the is case. the that's just how the ball bounces when you're playing the, that style of of metal of rock whatever. And I'm fine with that. My my point is they had all that in the early days, but they were smart enough to mix it up with you know yeah. then they throw in a paranoid or a children of the grave or something. I got no problem with the droney stuff. I just can't listen to it for the entire length of an album. It gets right. too samey, samey to me. I don't remember there being a whole, uh, well, I, I don't think I got past one song, but I didn't buy the record. I think it was like the single had come out. 
whatever it was. And the first thing I thought and maybe even said out loud was, this sounds like Zach wrote it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it sounded like Iomi was borrowing Zach Wilde style guitar riff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know why I would remember that, but I remembered it and it could have been the reason I turned it off. Now I'm a fan of Zach Wilde. Yeah. I like his riffs. I like his riffs in Aussie. I like his riffs in Black Label Society. Yeah. But the, the point that I do recall about 13 was, in whatever song it was, I'm sure, like I said, it was the, it was the first release, single or whatever. Yeah, the single was something like, Is God Dead? <clears throat> okay, well, I thought it sounded like Zach wrote the riff. And I was wondering why the riff master would... <laughs> You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Well, I'm paying I, attention to the riff in a song. I think Zach, a lot of his stuff ended up sounding very Sabbathy. So, well, uh, duh. Yeah, he was, he was trying to. He was trying to. You know, uh, write write songs so Ozzy would sound Ozzy's. You know, material would sound more Sabbath style. Yeah. I, you know, the, I mean, I feel like Stillborn, not to talk about Zach and Black Label Society, but Stillborn, that song. Yeah. Ozzy even sings on that song, backup yeah. vocals. Yeah. That sounds like it could have been a Black Sabbath song. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even Zach, when he's singing, emulates Ozzy. Duh. I mean, yeah. he's trying to do that anyway. Zach's trying to do his best Ozzy mixed with Lane Staley, mixed with Axl Rose. Pull up any black label record and listen to like three or four songs yeah and try and think about those vocal stylings in a blender yeah no i'll wait i think you know just based on the topic of our conversation i feel like we we needed to mention 13 the devil you know and dehumanizer but i'll i'll tell you um i don't i don't find myself reaching for those albums very often and, and yeah probably never will and it's it, it may be my own fault but it's just because there's so much quality stuff uh, otherwise, you know. Thanks for circling the wagons there. That was that was pretty pro. <laughs> so I have some <laughs> I have some anger issues. Well, we could go it's this is one of those moments where you and I can just uh, underline the geek word and just go for hours. Yeah. <laughs> so so here's something that I want to talk about that this is this is makes me red in the face i mean i'm already naturally red in the face but this <laughs> makes me mad and i remember i was working at a record store at the time that she did this uh-oh uh-huh you know what i'm got you know are you reading my mind right now uh yeah i, I think so i don't know who the she and i don't reissue want... reissues oh okay mike borden oh my god robert robert trio no don't even go there Oh, what, what was she thinking? Okay. Well, first of all, we're Bob we're Daisley. About, we're talking about Ozzy solo records and two, two or three of them, three of them. Uh, I two thought it was, well, they were trying to erase the Daisley Kerslake track. So that would have only been the well, first two. Well, you, I'm sure they didn't 
erased them, but they like, okay. they took them off and yeah. re-recorded new parts. Right. right. Now I'm they, about to like barf. Right. <laughs> I'm yeah. physically getting ill thinking about. I mean, that's like a. You know, there being a rift in the Led Zeppelin camp back in the day or, you know, maybe a few years after when everybody's still alive and someone going, oh, you know, fuck John Bonham and and uh, and, you know, yeah. what's the bass player's name? John Paul Jones. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. I, I should be shot right now. Anyway, so so, yeah, fuck them. They didn't I don't care if they wrote all the songs. We're going to re-record all of the you know, that's like you're messing with the Bible of rock. Yeah, that's like, you know. Uh, the colonel getting in a fight with Elvis and going, well, fuck him. I'll just get Sammy Hagar to sing all the Elvis songs. I'll re-record all the Elvis <laughs> songs and get Sammy Hagar to do it. Yeah. It's the same thing to me. It's preposterous. It's the stupidest, yeah. craziest and, and, fucking bullshit I've ever heard in my life that this was going to happen. Well, I thought it was bullshit. And then I, I held the records in my hand. Yeah. And I was like, it had a giant hype sticker on the covers that said newly recorded bass and drums I, hold on a second first off if i was a rock fan and i was an aussie fan i'd be going hold on a second so yeah. you re-recorded bob daisley and lee kerslakes the hell is wrong with parts <laughs> yeah yeah so the dudes that are going bob up bob up bob up but the dudes that fucking wrote that yeah. are erased like they yeah. never existed. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, I'm going to yell at the camera in a minute. And the backlash Hold was me back. as swift and severe as it should be. And uh, I think. So, so here's what you do. I think they're out of print. Thank God. They got pulled. Yeah. Um. I think that if you turn the C, it's only on CD. I don't think they, it, they got any to kind of special limited vinyl release or anything. Shit, maybe it did because vinyl was on the comeback, right? If you turn the CDs over, it's the spiral where all of that's another shitty idea. You, you have to turn the re, the CD uh, art around to read the fucking titles. Yeah, yeah. They go in a swirl. I think that that's what, what they did to the back of those things. Well, that was a, a really bad decision and it backfired and it should have and uh, hopefully nobody will ever do that again <laughs> but to be clear we're talking about ozzy solo records here so uh but yeah, yeah but the, it was a it was a crime that that was even done but let's let's uh, circle the wagons one more time and go back to so the show is ozzy versus dio black sabbath if you had to pick one which catalog are you going with? The Aussie catalog or the Dio catalog? Can't do it. <laughs> but you I have to do it for because the sake it's, of the show. It's not a fight, you know? In the words of Ronnie James Dio, it's two different bands. Yeah. I've always so my my uh There's us and there's them. You know, that's that's pretty much what it kind of turns into i have friends whose uh musical opinions for the most part i rever very uh, i i respect them yeah and they will not claim ozzy whatsoever they'll listen to black sabbath if it has dio singing yeah is that strange to a black sabbath fan just well, a, a fair 
weathered Black Sabbath fan? My my whole dilemma is is this. I as I've mentioned, one of my favorite albums of all time is Heaven and Hell. It's also my favorite Black Sabbath album. But Black Sabbath as a band is one of my favorite bands. Right. So if I'm forced to choose, I'm going to have to favor Ozzy's lineup, the Ozzy version, because number one, that's the band that put Sabbath on the map, and you could right. say heavy metal in general. Two, they have a deeper catalog than Sabbath did with Ronnie James Dio. So that's two major, major advantages. But in the same breath, I will say that those, especially those first two, and I'm not going to count dehumanizers, you know, uh, call me crazy, if you will, and, and bitch at me in the comments. But for all intents and purposes, for me, Black Sabbath with Dio is heaven and hell and mob rules. Those are two outstanding, outstanding records that I would never deny. And I'll put them on any time and love every minute of it. But all things considered, I got to give the advantage to the Aussie era of Black Sabbath. Okay, I got one for you. So what about if you had to choose, just just so you know, I can't choose. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's between, been obvious. Between yeah. Holy Diver and Blizzard of Oz. Okay, go. Oh, uh, I got to have Blizzard of Oz. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm a huge Randy Rhodes fan, and I'm a, and I'm a big Bob Daisley fan. Well, I'll take your copy of Holy Diver. Just my address is. Uh, it's hanging right there, and it says, To Dave, uh, you rock, Ronnie James Dio. So is it know. legible? Oh, yeah. It's one of the Damn. best autographs I have. The, the Sharpie was on point that day, man. <laughs> if it wasn't legible, I'll just say, you know, yeah, it's, that's he meant to write Jason. No. <laughs> you know, when I come to your house and get it. Because <laughs> you you need to replace it with Blizzard Vaz. It's actually one of the best autographs I have, as far as the ink and cooperating and everything uh, came out great. You're one of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look if at I know that ink blot on my first my debut Iron Maiden records, if I know that it's Paul Diano making that ink blot, I don't need anybody else to know. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, you got Ozzy's solo career and you got Dio's solo career. They, yeah. you know, uh, how many Dio records are there? A lot. <laughs> okay, well, do your best. So um, say them out loud. Well, uh, I ho Holy, Holy Diver, Last in Line. Sacred Heart. Ooh. Um, and then I'm going to, then I'm going to get out of order here, but there's. Uh, that, that doesn't matter. There's Dream Evil, Lock Up the Wolves. Yep, that's five. Uh, 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 that's pretty good. Something time, not Time Machine. Uh, there's. Uh, You're uh, doing better than me. Uh, something Machine, and then there's a something ha Lost Highways or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's like six or seven right there. Okay, what about Ozzy? Oh, Ozzy, uh, you know, Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman. Uh, Bark uh, at the Moon. Bark at the Moon, Ultimate mm -hmm. Sin, mm -hmm. uh, Osmosis, Ooh. No More Tears. Um, a lot of lineup changes. Yeah, well, jumping ahead, there's... Uh, it's fine. 
Black Rain, is that one? I think you're right. Is there one called Scream or something like mm. that? I'm jumping way ahead. Scream for me, Long Beach? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's, an, that's enough. So the, yeah. the all I was trying to do here as we sort of like um, get to the end of our, our show, our big show, is, uh, you know, hold up this this huge body of hard rock, heavy metal music that were spawned basically by uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. And, and, and Rainbow, all on the deep purple spectrum. Yeah. And, and throw it up in the air and just kind of, you know, look at the rainbow. No pun intended. Yeah. But There's... The, it's it's an incredible uh, body of work, and and I'm with you. I can't I can't really <clears throat> pick and choose and and sleep on it, and then and then just you know change my mind the next day. It just doesn't work that way for me. I think that um, I'll throw this out there: Into the Void is probably could be a fight, an argument as probably one of the greatest heavy metal songs written of all time. And I can't imagine Dio singing that. I can't imagine anyone else singing that other than Jonathan Osborne. Right. Exactly. And that's kind of the point, you know. Uh, they both guys fronted what I consider to be two distinctly different bands. The sound was different. Uh the lyrical content got a little different and the personalities of the, the, the voices um, only make sense at the time. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie doesn't make sense singing Ozzy. Ozzy wouldn't make sense singing Ronnie stuff. I don't want to hear Ozzy sing neon nights and I no. don't want to hear Dio sing, you know, sweet leaf. Right. Or so, Sammy yeah. sing Romeo's delight. Right. And, and you know, but in their own time and space, they're they're both excellent. I mean, far and away, some of the greatest hard rock, heavy metal ever. You know, so yeah, there 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 really is no winner. It all boils down to preference. I give the advantage to Ozzy for the reasons I've already stated, but I I can't take anything away from uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Just mess. I'm, I'm I'm sticking with no contest. Like you said at the top of the show, the versus yeah. is not not because it's one against the other. It's um, there would be it's like uh, the yin and the yang, and it's uh, you know, colors that it's different colors that go together very very well, and um, you know, cheers to the Ozman and to our uh, fallen hero and Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, thank you both for uh, some fantastic timeless classic heavy metal and with that let's wrap up ozzy versus dio we declare the winner both of them yeah <laughs> wait we're not allowed to do that are we there's not a winner yeah there's not a winner uh you know who the winner is us the fans That's right. we <laughs> all of us the fans win yeah. every time that's who's the winner that's right all right let's move on to our shot of rock and roll <laughs> All right, my shot of rock and roll to you, Jason. In keeping with today's Black Sabbath theme, you actually made a reference to this earlier, so you kind of beat me to the punch. But I was going to remind people that for a short, hot minute, 
many, many moons ago, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath actually spent a little time in Jethro Tull. And I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on the band Jethro Tull? Right. <clears throat> Subconsciously, that may have made me think of that, but I don't think so, because it was all about, you know, uh, Ozzy and friends and Dio and friends. Um. I don't think I have. I might have Aqualung. Uh, I might have to dig for it. There's a lot of stuff in this house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a poltergeist motherfucker. This house. <laughs> yeah. And I might have Aqualung. It's probably a beat vinyl copy. Um, and I, I think that Aqualung is probably the song, not Cross-Eyed Mary, you know, and and if I were going to go buy, a, uh, if I were looking for an affiliate link in our description in below, in our YouTube description yeah. on Jethro Tull, I would hope that it would be a Greatest Hits album because um, I could learn a thing or two. Yeah. And I know that Aqualung would be on it. That was a radio song. That was a big song. And yeah, you know what? Yeah. That's a prog rock song. There's weird, the riff, it feels like a Led Zeppelin riff to me when you think about it. When you, when you sing the riff, it feels like, you know, yeah. See what I'm saying? They were so I, I like I like it that it fits in there with a lot of things that were happening uh, from in the British Isles and the hard rock and underground heavy metal and prog metal and what even what uh, <clears throat> you know early prog metal before it was even called that but Pink Floyd and um, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think Jethro Tull makes makes a mark there. But uh, I uh, am embarrassed enough uh, that I don't have any Jethro Tull to really speak of. Yeah, they're one of those bands that uh, I never really collected, but uh, obviously I appreciate and respect their place in 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 rock history. Uh, so talented yeah. bunch of dudes. And, Ian Anderson, tell me about Ian Anderson. Let's talk about him real quick. Uh, well, you know, I mean, probably the first guy to ever play flute in a hard rock band, <laughs> you know, or at least well, play it, uh, you know, persistently. I'm sure other. I, I think that I think that you're right, but also when you think about Stairway to Heaven, that has flutes. No, what I'm saying is he was the one front guy man. That, yeah, and to use it as a as a as an ongoing continuous part of each song in each album. It wasn't, it wasn't flavoring one song on out of five albums. It was right. It was an integral part and a constant part of their sound. You know, it was every bit as important to their sound as the guitars, you know, do you have any Jethro Tull records? I don't. Yeah, I don't. So but I think do, but... thick as a brick is another. Yeah. Thing. My, song I think my album. favorite song by them, and and again, I, I I I don't I don't dig very deep. I don't have too many layers when it comes to Jethro Tull, but I've always liked Locomotive Breath, 
Ooh, I always yeah. thought that was just a good grinding kind so, of. So <clears throat> didn't Iron Maiden cover that as well as Cross-Eyed Mary? Did they do Locomotive Breath? Locomotive Breath. I know they did okay. Cross-Eyed Mary. Yeah. I don't remember Locomotive Breath. Okay. But I'll tell you, uh, here's here's my Jethro Tull story. I When I first moved to Austin, I had a, I had a job and I was working with a guy who would, you know, uh, I, I think he would even admit he was kind of a, an older hippie type dude. So he was a, probably a good 10, maybe 15 years older than me. Was his name Steve Grimmett? <laughs> no. <laughs> he didn't sing for Grim Reaper? No, no, no. Okay. That's good. Okay. <laughs> no, this is a different guy. Uh, yeah. No. Um, this guy was a rock fan, but he was from a previous generation. So he grew up on Jethro Tull and I did not, I grew up listening to him on the radio, but anyway, um, we, we kind of became buddies at work and Jethro Tull was coming to town and they played, uh, a beautiful venue here in Austin, Texas, that is no longer called the backyard. I knew you were going to say and that. It was under the stars and under the trees, and it was a beautiful setting out on a hill. I saw, I saw Yes there. So you're, okay. So mm -hmm. same type of band in that setting. It was kind of magical. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching Jethro Tull, and I'm listening, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I, 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 this is where Tool got everything. It reminded me of like a precursor to what the what Tool is, you know. There, it was just so dynamic, and, and parts of it were really heavy, and it was I don't know. It, it was just it was real proggy, of course, and it reminded me of because I'm from the new school, and my buddy is from the old school, right? So. His reference point is Jethro Tull. My reference point upon watching it and listening to it is, man, this sounds like, this sounds like Tool. <laughs> Let, let's be, let's correct something real quick. You said you're new school. Well, compared to him. Right. Just to be clear. Okay, <laughs> yeah. move on. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There ain't nothing new school going on in this show. Right, right, right. Anyway. No, but I. Whatever new school is, so. yeah. But I, I just remember being so. I remember being impressed with Jethro Tull. I mean, I was always impressed with the stuff I heard on the radio, and I've always respected them as a band and their longevity and their talent, and Ian Anderson for being so unique. And God bless them, you know the whole the whole bunch. Martin Bear and you know Jethro Tull, great great band, influenced Iron Maiden. You know, isn't so. the isn't the drummer Ainsley Dunsbar? Is that right? I don't think Ainsley, he might have been in Jethro Tull at one time. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing that, that name sounds super familiar. I think he well, had Ainsley, Ainsley's played for everybody, but I don't remember okay, him yeah. ever being in Jethro Tull. But okay. could be. I mean, he's such a journeyman drummer, so yeah. who knows. But anyway, uh, I remember seeing Jethro Tull live in concert, and I remember thinking, wow, they are really powerful and proggy and... There's a lot of musicality going on here, and it just reminded me of what would later be known as a band like Tool, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, did you know that uh, I feel like I've talked about this in a, you know, way back in an earlier episode. Um, and if someone can find it in one of our earlier episodes, this story that I'm about to tell, now it's time for you to pay attention because you could win a free grab bag from Jason McMaster. Oh. 
So I think I've told this story before, and that's what you're looking for in an older episode. And this story is, Dave, to you, it goes like this. Did you know that, and these are things I've heard, not things I know because I was standing on the pier, um, but Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull made most of his uh, bank from his fishery. He's got fishing boats off the coast of Scotland. Yeah, you've you told me this before. But was it in an episode? If it was in an episode and people can tell us what episode it was in and we can go research that and check their facts, this would be one of them. If you can connect this episode with a with a an, an older episode, I'll send you a grab grab bag of some McMaster just junk I have laying around here. I'll send you a box of crap. <laughs> some shit, I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> no, I guarantee it'll be it'll be good shit. Oh, I know, and I know. I I've been the recipient of some of your uh, hand me downs and grab bags. Before. Yeah, here, take this, Dave. I got ten thousand of them. Yeah, it's always good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, I wanted to do the shot of rock, uh, sort of uh, keeping it with the theme of Black Sabbath. So I thought I'd throw in Jethro Tull by way That's of good. Naomi. So. Yeah, and you did. You could. We connected them with Iomi. I have a feeling that sort of. Uh, I don't think that he's credited on uh, Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus as I don't know uh, if he is. I know guitar he player for Jethro Tull. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's wrap this one. Again, another great conversation. Ozzy versus Dio. The only winners in that contest are us, the fans. And uh, we appreciate both gentlemen in that band for bringing us so many great records and so much great music. On that note, uh, remember, hit up our TalkLouderPodcast.com website. That's where you can find T-shirts and coffee mugs. Again, that's TalkLouderPodcast.com. Check our affiliate links in the description section of the YouTube episode. Uh, you can do some uh, shopping there for some of the items we've mentioned in this episode. Until next time, I'm Metal Dave Glessner. That's my co-host, Jason McMaster. We'll catch you all on the flip side. 